Hello and welcome back. I'm the promo guy coming at you from the wasteland that is New York City. Today is Thursday, June 8th, but you'll be listening to this Friday at the earliest. Welcome to the seventh episode of the Promo Guy podcast, brought to you by Underdog Fantasy and Mojo, the stock market for sports. I am joined after two weeks off by the increasingly poor Nick from Blue Duck Media as he keeps fading the heat. Nick, how we doing? Poor. We're coming off of game three. Um, that was a that was a fun Nuggets win last night. Before we go basketball, how is the air quality in New York? I'm not there, but obviously it's all over my Instagram feed. Is it as bad as it looks? So, I've mostly stayed inside. <laughs> uh, are, are you masking up outside? I have not stepped outside. So Good for I, you. I, I, not really because, um, I mean, I guess a little bit because I'm whatever, scared, but mostly just, like, why would I go outside? <laughs> um, yeah, just let Uber Eats drivers mask up. Yeah, I mean, I have, I have like, food and groceries here. Um, I have, like, a gym in the building, so I haven't... Oh, so you come prepared. Well, I guess it's all kind of coincidence. It's only been a day and a half. Uh, and yesterday, <laughs> yesterday I sort of opened up Twitter, saw my feed, and said, oh, okay, uh, you know, maybe maybe I will, uh, you know, eat lunch at home and work out here and stuff, like, never really felt the need to outside. But, looking outside my window, it looks okay today, it looked a lot worse yesterday, like, early in the day. Um, you can still kind of smell it inside a little bit, but... It, it seems like it's a lot better today. Uh, I'll probably go outside later on. All right, well, keep us updated. I wouldn't mind seeing a, a few tweets letting us know how, how your adventure outside goes. Um, <laughs> I'm sure, I'm sure, I'm but, sure people get the idea. You know, Twitter's been blasted with these things. Yeah. Um, so very uh, very ballsy of you to talk, talk shit about the heat coming off of Game 3. Oh, I'm sorry. Did we bet on Game Three or the Nuggets series? I'm pretty sure oh, we did. I'm pretty we sure didn't. we bet on the Knicks series where I won plus one thirty, and then the Celtics series where I've won plus two ten. So to me, that's two and zero plus three point four units. I, I don't know if you see I, you making three. I forgot units. to tell you. <laughs> did we bet? That? I forgot yeah. to tell you. Yeah, we bet 15 units on the Nuggets spread last night, so I'm sure let you know. Damn, alright, well then, I will stop talking then, because I am way poorer than I thought. Also, the Heat really did me a favor last night. The Nuggets total was 108.5, and and the Heat deciding to stick around in that game and keep sending Jamal Murray to the line. They didn't even have to do that last foul, but they wanted to foul one more time to get Haslam in the game. Right. So they took an extra foul and put him at the line for the last two. Um, I honestly wish that the... I was on the Nuggets, sure. but I wasn't worried about losing the spread, so I was hoping that they called that one a flagrant and just... The closer the game, the more they're going to send him to the line. So I got it by a point, but so I thought right, I'd have so a little more... So the was Denver was up eight, right? When the flagrant not flagrant play happened, I thought it. I thought it was nine, but you might could, be right. Could be nine. Um, I thought it was nine, and if and they'd gotten like, the flagrant, what, it was like a minute and a half, right? 
Yeah, I think it was like a minute 17, okay, if I okay. remember correctly. Yeah, I mean, I'm surprised you were, I, I guess, I guess like, you, you know, you were, you had a close total bet going, but the spread definitely, would you have three and a half? Two and a half. Two and a half. So I, I had, you had a little two and a half. Yeah. But I, I had mean, enough room. That, I was like, screw it, get it to seven. But that, but that's seven in the ball. Yeah, I, I mean, seven in the ball. They ended up missing that possession. I listen. Everything you, you, you went well for me last night. I'm happy. <laughs> I just wasn't that nervous. The, the, I felt confident that it was. We were looking at a Nuggets win. Oh well, yeah, at that, at that point, the, the win was uh, in little doubt. But cool. Well, uh, bummer for me. I didn't know I lost 15 units last night. But you know, I guess we'll have to power through. Um. All right. Well. In, uh, in that spirit, let's hit the start of the stack. Yeah, so obviously I, I was gone for two weeks, um, and I think FanDuel boost struggled a bit. Um, honestly, it was a nice getaway for me. You know, I hadn't taken a day off, you know, including weekends since February of last year, so like almost a year and a half. Um, so luckily, the state of the stack for me is great. Uh, I went on vacation, came back, and we hit... The Tuchuk boost we hit, which is plus 300. We hit the BAM uh, boost last night, which is plus 330. And we, I think we've only lost one in between, maybe two, uh, one before the Tuchuk boost. And Caesars, we had, we had a great day the other day with the uh, home run or home runs, depending on which plays you got. I posted two, one replacement, and two of the three hit. Um, so, and that was like plus 500. So, honestly, a really good couple days. I, I'm very happy with what DraftKings has been doing with up to promo, and they, they're still sort of peppering us with promos. I just saw that there was a, a gift, a $25 gift uh, today. So, very happy with the last few days. I know that the couple weeks before that weren't quite as good, um, but good to see, you know, promos still still up and going and all that. Um, in terms of other performance, uh, you know, ROI guy stepped up really big for me and plus EVIO as well, taking over the Discord stuff. Um, Dinger Tuesday had a really good couple weeks with ROI guy and, and uh, especially the limited group. I think the unlimited group is now up $410, I want to say, with $150 of free bets coming and then the limited group is up $461 with $50 free bets. So hopefully after the free bets, we can get those each over 500 on the season, which is pretty good. We're still relatively early, eight, nine weeks in. Uh, so that promo is really chugging along nicely. I would say that the one, you know, people might be a little bit surprised, and I'm a little bit surprised that the limited group is now ahead, or maybe after the free bets, it'll be about even uh, versus the unlimited group. A lot of that... People have just been asking me, a lot of that is, you know, you, you play your your best ones for the limited group, you know, the best ones on the board that day, those will have the highest EV, and then the rest, you, you play it as long as it's plus EV, but if it's, say, 5% EV, you're still going to play that, that dinger play for the unlimited group, because it still makes sense to, but the profits per bet go down a lot. Um, for those, so still worth playing those. I, you know, I'd be shocked if the limited group was even with the unlimited group at the end of the season. But 
of just a little bit of an explanation there, a huge appreciation for our Y guy plus EP Iowa for all that they did over two weeks and helping me, you know, disconnect. Um, and then uh, the call him Triple P started out as Prize Picks person. You know, he's the the fantasy guy in the Discord. He's been absolutely killing it. Uh, long overdue shout out for him. Um, he had a really monster month and it was particularly hot while I was gone. Unfortunately, I couldn't tell those plays because I was out of the country, but uh, just wanted to give him a huge shout out and really all three of those guys for doing well and allowing me to take a vacation. Um, so let's get into the gambling landscape update. I already did a lot of the, I already did a lot of the explaining, you know, happy with DraftKings, Caesar's still doing some boosts, FanDuel has taken a small step back, I would say. My, I'm feeling better and better about having DraftKings at number one in the EV rankings, but FanDuel's still kicking two, two of the last three or four days. We've had plus 300 plus hits, and they still do their kind of one 10% EV boost a day. I was, I'm pretty not happy hearing about MGM pulling some shenanigans about with people's um, with their one game parlay promo. People aren't getting their free bets. I, I want to look into that more and you know maybe see if I can ring it up the flagpole a bit uh, to get some tension on it. But sounds like a, a little shady and and not great on their part. So uh, hopefully that gets corrected and fixed for people but something to look out for. And then uh, I wanted to take a little bit of time. I mentioned this to, to Nick when we were going over the rundown. Uh, I wanted to go through, I don't know if this really belongs to the gambling landscape update, but whatever. Uh, the first inning promo. DraftKings did uh, yes run first inning, no run first inning, 20% boost. I wanted to go through it because it was kind of an interesting, tough one for me, which side to go and whether to play it at all. So DraftKings had a 20% boost on, and you got to pick yes run first inning or no run first inning. And the line was minus 140 plus 110. So you could boost either side. Now, if you boosted both sides, uh, you would make risk-free money. So one side at least has to be good, if that makes sense. Right, because um, yeah, so that it's kind of hard for me mentally to not pick a side when that's sort of the case. Um, just knowing that overall there is an EV side here, and the information that we had and why it was tough, which side. So I'm looking at the uh, the like odds jam screen now. So very clear if you look at this. So FanDuel was minus 148 plus 116. Uh, Caesars was minus 145 plus 115. Canby was minus 148 plus 118. Uh, obviously, we know DraftKings was minus 140 plus 110. And then there was this sort of outlier in Bet365, which was minus 165 plus 135. And it's not in the screenshot, but Pinnacle kind of matched. Um, I want to say it was minus 130 plus 117, something like that. So all of these places were very, other than Bet365, were all in unison with each other. And the fair line was around, call it minus 130, Pinnacle was a bit lower, call it minus 125. 
Um, so, so in that range. And I liked minus 125 uh, if you want to lean towards Pinnacle. But then Circa, which sort of the background here is Circa is considered, and rightfully so, sharper than all the books that I just mentioned because they limit people less and they take more money on, well, when I say less, that they don't limit people. And they take more money on the bet. They're, they're, they're exposing themselves more, at least theoretically, to this bet. Uh, so they had minus 120 plus 100. So, so the same width as everyone else, uh, wider than Pinnacle. Obviously, Pinnacle is tighter than everyone else. And, but the same width for the most part, uh, at least for, oh, I, I guess everybody was 30 and they were 20, but whatever. And a much lower fair line. So the fair line for that would be about minus 110. So if you look at Circa only, or if you lean towards Circa, the play was to take the no run first inning, you boost it up to, um, you know, plus 132. Now, the hard part for me is every single book, which probably, I mean, yes, they limit, but this was 20 minutes before the game started. So they've seen Circa, they've seen Pinnacle. It's not like they know, they've taken a bunch of action, probably more than Circa's taken just because uh, of the market share that they have and and people liking, liking enjoying betting, yes, run first inning, no run first inning. I mean, they ran a promo for it, so they, they had both sides, just if you look at DraftKings. All of that. Uh, so not that I trust them more, but if every single book is sort of one way, where if you if you boost it to minus uh, 116, the yes run first inning, you get a huge ARP to bet 365 plus 135. Another reason why I couldn't just turn this promo down is that I'm getting an arbable line to every single book. <laughs> uh, or if or, or yeah. if you if you side with Circa, you get a you can get a huge ARP. To circa so like one way or another whatever you trust you kind of have to play it in my opinion um but anyway so you get it at minus 116 you get a huge arc do you think you have to play it regardless of what side you take well i just think it's tough to turn it down because if you if you truly believe that circa is just more powerful than every single book combined combined because they're all kind of aligned and you want to completely ignore bet 365, then you could get plus 132 and it's an ARB versus minus 120 to Circa, right? That's huge value yeah. if that's what you believe. For me, I just struggle to say 20 minutes before the game starts. If you want to talk about the opening line and these guys are, you know, do their due diligence a bit more and are a bit sharper as they open it and they're willing to take all that action, fine. But if you're talking about 20 minutes before and these lines have been up for many hours, like they know, and they're still po posting minus 148 plus 116, right? So for me, I sided with, I can get no hold or ARB to everyone, a massive ARB to bet 365. And yeah, it's negative 3% EV to Circa. And it's possible that that minus 120 plus 100 is just absolutely perfect. And every single, call it recreational book, is too high. Bet 365 is way too high then, okay, then I, I made a minus 3% EV bet. But if you believe that maybe Circa was just leaning a little bit that way and the fair line is maybe more like minus 120, minus 125, and, and that every other book was right, then okay. And then the, but the, and then the other thing for me is that if you boost the no run first inning, 
you're getting a worse line than Bet365 is hanging already, right? Because plus 132 is less than plus 135. So it was a tough decision for me. I, I tend to lean towards the sharper books as, as people should. I just struggled with boosting it to plus 132 when there was a plus 135 out there when the better side on, again, every book that known to man, you know, other than Circa, was the yes run first inning side. And it was an arc to Penny, it was an arc to Canby, it was no hold to FanDuel, no hold to Caesars, blah, 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 blah. That just felt like the right side for me. But I thought you had to play it. Um, and I, I, you know, I understand people that, that are kind of um, circa obsessed, and I don't mean that in a negative way, because uh, they, they've earned a lot of credit, but I just couldn't do it. I couldn't do the plus 132. I went with the minus 116, which I think lost. Uh, it did lose. But not that that really matters. Uh, any questions, Nick? Because I'm sure if you have questions, people might have similar questions. Um, no, I think I follow most of that. I think it's, I, I almost get lost here. Like, I, I'm trying to track, I'm like, I get lost in just listening to you explain it. I think I follow, and yeah, I, I think it's funny when you say, like coming from someone who's been more of a less of an intelligent gambler it's funny when you say yeah it lost but that doesn't matter it's really just about the, having the right mindset and making sure that your like your logic on these plays is correct um yeah, yeah I, I, I guess especially well, for a, a, a no run first inning type bet you know it doesn't matter whether somebody hit a solo shot or not or there was some silly error I mean, it's such a random bet uh in you know one inning of a 162 game season but yeah for people that struggle to follow i'll try and put it simpler every single recreational book that's considered less sharp including pinnacle which is sharp um said to go with the yes run first inning circa which is considered sharper than all these books said to go with the no run first inning and i went with the consensus because it was 20 minutes before game time some people may have passed um or you know considered passing I struggled with that because you're you're deciding between plus 132 one way and minus 116 the other way. And when you have that large of a discrepancy, and I think that you kind of have to go one way. My worst case was a negative 3% EV bet. My best case was, you know, uh, a much stronger bet than that. So, uh, cool. Uh, let's get to the Wheel of Sports. Or do we have anything before? Uh, let's do it. Um, let's give it a spin and see what we've got today. Okay, we've got the NBA Finals, we've got DeGrom Tommy John, we've got the PGA LIV Live Merger, we've got the Colts Player Suspension for Gambling, and we've got what TPG's real name is. Um, we will go ahead and give it a spin. Alright, we get to talk some NBA Finals, I didn't see that one coming. Um... You start us off. What angle you want to take here? Uh, sure. Well, so we we left off at this. The Heat were up 1-0, and the Nuggets were up 1-0. You were heavy on Boston. I I, I thought Miami would would uh, would win, and then we both thought the Lakers would win, right? Uh, and, and, and so you knew you knew ahead of time. You knew that Tatum was going to turn his ankle. I'm just recapping where we left off because we did okay, it just each time. Uh, and, and when I say think they would win, it was more of a value thing. And I think the Lakers were plus 230 and the, the Heat were plus uh, like 210, right? 
Um, so I'll start with the Lakers Nuggets series. Denver, I thought that really the the thing there was uh, you know where I misread it. Partially the greatness of Jamal Murray and Jokic. I thought that AD would do a lot better uh, in that matchup against you. Not not a lot better than Jokic, but a lot better than he did. Uh, they he basically got abused for four games, um, and every game was close, you know. But Denver's just shot making. You know, they shot it great. Jamal shot it great, and their mental toughness of just you know they were down eleven. I thought in the pivotal game two. And Jamal had a really bad first half, and he battled back and went crazy in the fourth and won it, and they sort of took off from there. Um, the Lakers didn't really do anything wrong, in my opinion. I mean, other than D'Lo, it was just terrible. It was a small margin series where every game was really tight, and the Nuggets executed better, I thought, and, and kind of... Uh, looked like the fresher team, you know, Lakers looked a little older there, maybe the Warriors series warm out a bit. Uh, LeBron kind of had a, a cool for me to watch last gasp in game four where he was just kind of awesome, uh, at least for most of it. And it just wasn't enough. They looked they looked worn down by the end. Uh, so, you know, credit, See, credit to Denver. I don't, I don't know if I fully agree. I think that at times they may have looked a bit worn down, but I agree with how you started it that it was a really close margin series. And I don't know if the Lakers were tired. I just think the Nuggets reached a level they hadn't reached yet. I think, I mean, Steve Kerr said it this week that Jamal Murray is the head of the snake there. And you know what Jokic is going to do. And it's uh, like Jeff Van Van Gundy's been talking about it every broadcast. Like, you're not really going to get a bad game out of him. All of his shots are so close to the rim. The way he gets other people involved, you're not going to get a terrible Jokic game. So he did what he was going to do against the Lakers. I just thought Jamal Murray, his shot making, some of the the shots he was taking, he was off the dribble over Anthony Davis, off the dribble over LeBron. And then you get the ridiculous step backs that are well contested from Michael Porter Jr. And I thought that the Nuggets just hit back-breaking shot after back-breaking shot where the Lakers cut it from 7-2, to two, have a stop, are able to get back in the game, and you get a step-back contested three that goes. And I just thought that was the real difference. I don't know if the Lakers really... I thought they looked fine. I wouldn't make huge changes. I think you need to reload a little bit. Yeah, I mean, uh, maybe some of the fit stuff, but stuff that they were going to do anyway. Yeah, I wouldn't overreact to it. I actually agree with you. I think we're agreeing that I don't think this was... Yeah, I think so. I don't think this was about the Lakers. When I say worn down, I mean more mentally. Where, yeah. where it was just, you know, Jokic and Murray, they never got down. They never they never had – like when you say I, you know exactly what you're getting from Jokic and he's been excellent in every single game, whether it's passing, shooting, whatever. And he, it's not – I don't know. Has he had a sub 40%, 50% shooting game? Like I'm not sure he has. Uh, I'm, yeah. But, so for me, like just that consistency, that – patience of getting the right shot not forcing anything sticking to sort of your principles and everything like they've been they were just the more mentally sharp team and it helped them execute and and the shot making was great and I wouldn't expect it to be a sweep if they played again Uh, it was obviously very competitive and some of the shot making was more tilted towards Denver but I just you know credit to them that they didn't really flinch at any point right because so many teams in the playoffs you've seen be up and down and 
I think Denver's real magic has been kind of being up in every game. Um, so then you have the so then pivoting to the Miami Boston series. So it was one zero. The Miami took game two. Then game three, everybody sort of expects Boston to to come back. Miami blows them out. Miami goes up nine in game four in the second half. And then credit to Boston, they showed some backbone, right? Come back, win that game, take game five. Game six was kind of crazy. You have the Derek White tip in um, as time expires to extend it to seven. The, the fact that they almost gave that game away was a really bad omen for seven. I just think it's really hard mentally to like treat to have like four game sevens against backs against the wall, uh, especially when you're kind of the favorite team in each game, or at least you know bigger picture, because like. And for a young team with their fourth coach in four years, first year, all that crap. Um, just because, so game four, you know, backs against the wall, they, they heroic effort. Game five was, you know, kind of at home. I think everyone kind of expected Boston win that one. Then game six was the game that both teams, you felt like, really got up for. And Miami couldn't hit shots for most of the game, but then they have a flurry late. And then craziness happens at the end, and you have to Derek White tip him. Point two seconds or whatever, and Boston just looked like they'd want they they did it right. They were jumping on each other. They're all excited, and you know they kept saying, "Don't let us get back to Boston Game Seven. Everything was about just get back to Boston Game Seven. You could tell that that's how they were thinking. Don't let us get one because then we just need one more, and then we're back in Boston Game Seven. We're back in Boston Game Seven, and I felt like they were just gassed when it came to. To that, and it, it obviously reminded me a lot of the, the the Ray Allen shot, game six, in the same building, where the Spurs came out and had a really good effort in that game seven. You know, I, I kind of felt like Miami was going to be very ready to play, and Boston was just, I think that they were just, like, gassed, to be honest. Like, they, they, had, they had spent their, their all their effort, all their energy. They felt like they had it won. Game seven was going to be easy. Yeah, the, the Tatum thing didn't help, but, like, it's kind of a, you know, silly excuse. He played for Yeah, I, I think that, that's, like, a, I, I just look at that as a punch in the face right to start the game. And, yeah, they may have been a bit exhausted, but I, I do think, I, I think the way that game turns out looks completely different. If you have Tatum getting you easy buckets now and then, and he, he's really, like, I'd say Marcus Smart is, like, their emotional core where he, like, he can really pick them up, but I think the confidence of knowing that I can play, I think the same way that all the role players on the heat can play freely because they know that Jim, they have Jimmy behind them. They almost feel like they have a safety net of having a guy that they believe is truly awesome. I think it's, it just got a lot tougher when your guy is no longer able to create separation and is able to get into a flow. You don't really feel like, Anything I add is just a cherry on top. It's like Marcus Smart all of a sudden, if he doesn't put up 16, 18, 20, now that like they're relying on that instead of that being just a cherry I, on top. I, I, get, I get it. Uh, I would just say like he was out there. I mean, he like drove in the lane and dunked the ball. He, he was 0 for 8 from 3 the previous game. was 1 for 4. Like He was still there. And I, I think that, look, Jimmy Butler's been hobbled plenty of times. Like, you use that analogy. Jimmy Butler's been hobbled plenty of times, and I felt like, you know, no hero, no other deep, all that stuff. And, like, the Heat are just, 
were the mentally sharper team. They didn't care. They weren't. And if Boston was thinking about all that, like, well, that's part of the reason why it's tough to come back from 3-0 and to, to, to get up for every game. Like, you can't have everything go right each game. And you lose by, what is it, 20 points, 19 points. And Miami was just sort of blitzing him the whole game. Jalen Brown wasn't good. And, I mean, none, none of the balls yeah, were Yeah, Jalen terrible. Uh, but, you know, one team had guys step up when Jimmy was, you know, banged up or not playing well, you know, whatever the whatever happened there, obviously. He re- Jim, Jimmy doesn't get banged up. Jimmy's Wolverine. <laughs> you know, he's, he's struggled a bit I, he, since, um, since re-injuring the ankle. But... Uh, but you know, Miami's guys stepped up. They didn't really care about any of that. They were mentally fresh heading into Game Seven. I felt like kind of determined. But I do think it it is hard to then play you know finals games <laughs> three days later. Like they would have been much better off uh, had they got that gotten that done a lot earlier, like Denver did. Uh, so then fast forwarding to the finals, I thought games one and two. I think all the games have been great. Yeah. Uh, they've been a bit lower scoring, but like games one and two were relatively even games, and it was mostly about Miami's shot making. They didn't hit open shots in game one; they hit it. They hit them in game two. Game three, I thought, was like really well executed on both teams. I thought both teams were playing really hard. Um, Miami, who you know, lost by eleven. Um, oh no, fifteen in the end. Um, only had four turnovers. They got 12 extra field goal attempts uh, versus Denver. They got to the line, not more than Denver. Denver's a bigger team, but I think they made seven less free throws than Denver, so they still had you know, decent amount of extra possessions. I thought they had pretty good looks for the most part, um, but you can't shoot 35% at the rim, right? Uh, so it wasn't necessarily shots from three, but I mean, you look at that game, like Denver had made five three-pointers, they tur- They had ten extra turnovers, um, and won comfortably because uh, you know mostly Jimmy Bam, but uh, I mean Vincent, all those guys were just struggling to hit relatively good, you know, two point looks. So we'll see if we have a series next game. Uh, maybe you know maybe this whole series is about whether Miami makes shots or not, just because of how consistent Denver is, which I think is a bit of a I don't know if bugaboo is the right word, but, like, Miami almost thrives off of, like, make a mistake, you know, begging teams to make a mistake, uh, and, and Denver hasn't made them, so Miami's going to have to actually go beat them, but I thought Miami played a decent game. Again, you only turn the ball over four times, you get 92 shots up, you should probably score more than 94 points, and I thought the looks were pretty good. It wasn't like, you know, Jimmy and Bam were really attacking, they got to the line, I just... You know, sometimes the ball doesn't go in, and they better hope it goes in uh, next game. So we, you know, it's either two-two, and we got a full-on series, or it'll look like a gentleman's sweep. So we'll see. Yeah, I'm. I'm happy to move on to the next topic. I, I'll just say, I, I do think Miami got a bunch of good shots. I agree with you. I think that they look good. The four turnovers is really impressive. Um, Especially considering Jamal Murray had seven himself. Um, I just think that, yeah, the Nuggets just seemed to be better on offense, and it just seemed like they always had an answer. That There's a really timely three by Jokic, when I feel like yes. that kind of made me feel... The, the Jimmy cuts it from 13 to 10, and Jokic comes back and puts it right back up there. 
that that one seemed like it was re- a really big backbreaker because those typically are where Jimmy hits a three and then all of a sudden Miami gets it from 13 to 5 and the other team starts to sweat. Yeah, and, um, and honestly, Miami did kind of, you know, try and jump back into it and the Denver, like you said, just kept making shots. I thought that actually, I don't remember what the score was, but Jokic hit like a, not, not really a fadeaway, but like kind of a long two over... I don't remember if it was love. Or yeah, a little Sambo shuffle over yeah, love. Yeah, over love. it was like, it's like, you know, you look at Bam and Jimmy kind of missing, and other guys too, missing like easier looks than that. Uh, and then Jokic is, is just, you know, his usual 60, 70% crazy efficient self. Uh, it's tough, but yeah, uh, let, let's move on. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I hopefully just, you know, game four goes Miami's way and we have more basketball. I don't, I don't know if I'm ready for these uh, playoffs then. Although, although I'm worried for your bankroll. Let me know after uh, if we bet on this game four, okay? Yeah, let me quickly tell you, I'm looking up right now, Nuggets three and a half. I wish I could get the. I'll probably buy this one to two and a half. Alright, maybe we'll see uh, TPG's real name come up on the, the wheel here. Alright, let's give it a spin. This is a fun one to talk about, and I don't know if this is exactly gambling-related or where we want to take this, but we're talking about Live Golf and the PGA Tour merging. Um, what? Where do you want to go with this? I, I think this can go a bunch of different ways. Why don't you, why don't you start? I don't, uh, I'll have to collect my thoughts a little bit more on this. All right, so I guess we'll look at it from an angle of the players that decided to stay loyal to the PGA are... You saw the Rory uh, press conference, yeah. I assume, where he called himself a sacrificial lamb. Is it on the PGA to tr- like reward the guys who stayed loyal to them? And if so, how do you think they go about doing that? Where does that money come from? Do they just let the players that left back in? Is there some sort of waiting period, suspension period? Uh, how, how do they play this one to keep everyone happy? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if there's really an answer because I mean, a lot of the the stuff was about you know. It's funny that the conversation is okay. How, how can we get the guys that didn't take the large sums of money uh, to join live? How do we get them paid the money that they would have made? Because it was kind of in hindsight, obviously the right, at least financial and like professional uh, decision to to be one of the early guys if there's no sort of punishment in entering them back in. I assume because there's a merger, it's going to be hard to tell the guys that went to live. It's hard for as part of the merger to not just have them fully reinstated, I imagine. So a lot of it's about getting those guys paid, but a lot of the issue was was ethical. Uh, you know, it was about where the money was coming from, and that's not really seeming to change. So I don't I don't really know if there is an answer. Obviously for like a guy like Rory just to feel a little bit less stupid maybe it's like oh I turned down 400 million or I don't know 400, 500 something like that million to maybe he says no one offered him any money but you know we know we know he would have gotten a huge payday so you know is the answer to just give him the payday that he would have gotten like I think the leverage is kind of gone there but I don't know if Agreed. I think it's definitely maybe a little bit less of them making him whole and more like punishing the guys that left for a little bit. If even 
like for a single tournament. I, I think there's just like a, hey, or maybe it's a year. I don't know. I, I just think it's not just the money. It's the I stayed loyal to you and you guys told me that you would never let them back in and they get to come back in with no no discipline. Whatever discipline there's going to be is going to feel like a slap on the wrist. Like, I don't know if there's a way to make a hole. I guess where my brain goes is this, this almost feels settled to me. And maybe I'm just not deep enough. So I apologize to, you know, big golf fans. uh, If if I kind of want to move past this part of it and like this felt, I felt like the bigger thing, I guess we, we, this came out, uh, after we, we came up with the sports topics, uh, was like the messy thing to Miami. Mm-hmm. To me, that was crazy. Um, where you have a guy who's, what, a year off of winning the World Cup and winning the most valuable player of it coming. You know, and he's obviously the biggest name, arguably, in sports. I don't know, that's like him, Ronaldo, or LeBron, something like that. Uh, coming to a whatever tier league, the MLS being, you know, a far cry from you know, where he was in Barcelona and the leagues that they play in and turning down also at the same time it reported, do you see three years, $1.6 billion uh, to come to the MLS? Mm-hmm. Like, what does that mean for soccer in America? What does it mean for other leagues where you kind of have this, can you just throw money and make at stars and stars drive a lot of these big leagues obviously you know I, I kind of think especially the NBA and you create problems for for the established leagues yeah I mean the way I look at it and I mean it's interesting looking at it from like a you create problems for the established leagues I think soccer in America isn't really challenging anyone else I guess they're challenging soccer fans that pay attention to soccer abroad. Um, I definitely do think that this, both of these are examples of how you can challenge the existing leagues and end up doing well. I mean, the, the live is the best case scenario. Um, and hopefully what MLS is doing just gains them a bunch more eyeballs. And I mean, the amount that Messi's getting paid, in theory, could end up being somewhere in the same neighborhood as the 1.6. If he, I mean, he has options with Adidas and Apple. Hopefully, I mean, the details on how much a percentage of the revenue share he gets there haven't come out. But I would assume he gets somewhere in the same ballpark, uh, plus a shit like... Didn't he get a percentage share yeah, of ownership? I guess for me, it's, it's just odd to think about. I mean, the... The stadium built for, uh, was it Inter-Miami? I think I saw it's like 18,000 people or something. Like, the, like the, the MLS isn't really set up for, you know, a Messi to come in, at least from, you know, uh, an uninformed seat. I'd be interested to hear more about what, what people think, but I got to think that there's more guys coming, right? Like, you can't just stick Messi on the worst team in the MLS and see what happens. And you have to figure that they told Messi that they're going to bring in other stars or a lot of this kind of equity stuff in the league uh, feels awfully dependent on how old is he, 38 or something? So I think ideally, the way they have it right now, he would just kind of be a sideshow. Where it's like, I don't mean sideshow like on the side. I mean like it's like 
it, it's like we know that we have this one like freak attraction that he's so good and has such a strong following that even if he's only in the MLS for three years, we're just going to get a huge spike in our numbers from him being there. What you're describing and what I assume they're going for is a much longer lasting effect. If they can get four or five other A-list players to come, all of a sudden they can build an infrastructure where model, isn't it? they can right. com- get... Like you get several. Yeah, not is, just one. I, I mean, it's uh, tough. Well, Beckham did this in L.A. right when he like when he 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 wasn't the best player in the world or close to it. But yeah, it, it's tough. It's a little different than the live model. The live model was pay way more than the market to get players into our system and boost our numbers super high which I don't even know if that ended up working, but just continue to steal from the PGA until they know. I mean, they, I've seen it all over Twitter, but it's true. It really was the Michael Scott paper company where it's, we are going to steal clients. We're going to steal eyeballs and we're going to like, we're going to diverge the market and start stealing market share until you guys have no other option, but to merge. I think the MLS's game plan is probably a bit more, we want to build something that has, like, where we're not going to have to pay uh, above market consistently for the next 20 years. If we could pay above market for the next four or five years, start to make people look at the MLS and, like, increase the brand coolness of the MLS, all of a sudden, the developmental teams will be better. You'll have homegrown players that are a lot better and the level of play will be higher. So people will just want to come there because they want to live in Miami and play. You don't have to pay 4X the going rate for Messi. You can just get good players at normal market rates. And, I mean, I would think, is it crazy to say 20 years from now, the top four MLS teams could be playing in the Champions League? Like, isn't that the idea, to try and get to an A-level league where you have high enough level talent that you can compete in something like that? Well, I would have probably told you it's crazy before this happened, uh, but I think anytime you have... I mean, we have 300 million people, for starters, in the U.S., right? Uh, a lot of them growing up, you know, enjoying athletics and a lot of that um, stuff that's helped us do well in Olympics and other sports. So, yeah, I mean, you look at the success of European, like, you know, or global basketball... Like, I don't, you know, where they didn't love basketball uh, the way we did for a while. And now they've certainly caught up to us where not, not any one country would beat the U.S., but that's also hard when everybody here grows up the U.S. And uh, you could argue it's better athletes, but also they're smaller countries. But the international team would now beat the U.S. team. Yep. So the U.S. has a lot in place where you could obviously do very well athletic-wise. And if you have a star like Messi, and you could argue that a lot of the European basketball stuff came because uh, of a couple of stars. You have a guy like Messi here, like, yeah, maybe, you know, I'll probably watch more MLS than I ever did, and I'm sure you will too, so I think it's cool, and I guess the last thought on this is, well, you know, we weren't, uh, we being the U.S., weren't the only ones bidding for Messi. Somebody else offered him $1.6 billion, like, this is... Like Saudi Arabia is here and, and doing all this and as they try and become more Western. Uh, but what does that mean for 
could this happen in the NFL sort of again as it as it happened? Like, could this happen, you know, could the XFL or some other league just start paying guys? You look at some running backs, a lot of NFL players, I think NBA might be harder, but there are some NFL players that, you know, like some of the big running backs and big I mean, wide receivers are trying to get paid more, but there are some real attractions that are getting paid sort of less than I'm sure another league would come and try and pay him by following this model and football is just so big here. Uh, I think the whole thing is interesting and kind of quickly changing, but definitely a win for Liv and then maybe more like Saudi Arabia now is emboldened to try this even more so in soccer and and you know we'll see what the, the messy repercussions are for you know this just becoming a bigger thing because the, the, you know all these billionaires are becoming many, many billionaires from their sports teams and the, the ROI from, from sports teams has been phenomenal. So you wonder if it is possible to overpay uh, for a lot of these stars. But anyway, uh, let's take a break and then we'll get into uh, the big thought, yeah? Yep, we'll be right back. So let me tell you about Mojo, the live betting stock market that's operating in New Jersey. Every bet on Mojo offers live trading so you can get in and out all game long. It's stock trading meets sports betting with money lines, player props, and a whole new career-long bet that they've created. The best part is that you're in total control of your bets. They offer cash-outs way more frequently than any other book. And if you use the code TPG and download the app now, you can get your first sweat-free bet up to $1,000. I repeat, TPG is the only way you can get a risk-free bet up to $1,000. It's pretty cool they've created that for us. All the usual rules apply. You have to be 21 or older and located in New Jersey to bet. This podcast is brought to you by our friends at Underdog Fantasy, the easiest place to play fantasy sports. Draft a fantasy team against your friends for tonight's or tomorrow's games to win cash prizes. Or try out their pick'em game where you can predict player stat projections for a chance to win big. Underdog's slick mobile app is easy to use and it's even easier to just start playing. Go to underdogfantasy.com or the App Store. Sign up with the promo code PGP, the Promo Guy Podcast, and Underdog will double your first deposit up to $100. Again, that's Underdog Fantasy, promo code PGP. Welcome back in. Uh, Now for today's big thought. So, Jokic, uh, there's been a lot made of the more he scores, the less likely the Nuggets are to win this postseason. I think his four biggest games have been, sorry, in the four losses have been four of his biggest games. Uh, and he's averaging like 40 points a game or something in losses. And I uh, I thought this was really interesting. Not so much from a should the Heat just let him score, but from sort of a betting perspective and a correlation perspective, uh, what do you do? And, and this sort of kind of gives a bit of a backdoor into a lot of the boosts that we see that we try and calculate are correlation based and not always clear what the correlation is or if you have an SGP promo you know you're trying to come up with an optimal play and figure out fair odds stuff like that and what should correlation be so I thought this was a good example of kind of a confusing one and maybe a place where if you like a certain angle you can find a decent bet for it so uh, this regular season Jokic's correlation the correlation between his points and the Nuggets winning was about zero. Meaning, when he scored more points, 
versus when he scored less points, the Nuggets were about equally likely to win. Now, of course, most players have a positive correlation to their team's success. Uh, that's mostly intuitive, right? Uh, if, when you score, that's a good thing, and it helps your team win. So, Jokic is about zero. I think that a lot of that was maybe driven by uh, he would score less in blowouts. They would, they would sit him a bit more. And just his the crazy impact of his assists. You know, they were, I think, 40 and 4 or something when, when he had 10 or more assists. And, and his, uh, his correlation between assists and team success was very high. So maybe, you know, those kinds of games were more impactful on, his winning, on them winning rather than when he tried to score more. And maybe he tried to, he would press more uh, when he scored. But still, it was a zero correlation. It wasn't negative. It wasn't positive. It was zero. Okay, this postseason, the correlation has been insanely high between his, him scoring more and the team losing. It's a small sample, so for the season, it's still only slightly negative if you combine them both. But what's interesting to me is, and I don't have a perfect answer for this, is, is Jokic an outlier here? Is it sort of a small sample? Is it sort of a... Like, if you have a bunch of players and you run all their correlations, there's going to be some kind of statistical anomalies that may not mean anything. Or is it real? Is it significant? I mean, it's not that small of a sample. And the correlation is negative. I mean, even if it's, z- even if it's zero, it's notable. So, because the vast majority of the books price the correlation as positive. The more he scores, the, the more likely the Nuggets are to win. So you can actually get a big boost in odds by taking his over points and the heat to cover a win or his under points and the nuggets to cover a win. So if I just go on to DraftKings, for example, and I do under 30 and a half points and nuggets minus three and a half, which is the unfavored side, I get plus 330. If I do under points heat plus three and a half, I get plus 215. So a massive difference, and if you go the other way, Jokic over points, this one would be a little bit closer just because of what's favored, but so Jokic over points plus three and a half for the Heat, it's plus 285 versus over points minus three and a half for the Nuggets plus 230. So either way, you are getting huge bumps by, by taking sort of the negative correlated view, even though he's massively negatively correlated in the postseason. And he's and he was about zero in the season. Most players aren't like this, and I think that the challenge for me or for you know people trying to make plays or, or calculate boost whatever whatever you're trying to do is figure out is that real or not? Is that correlation should it be zero? Should it be negative? Or should it be positive like most players uh, because scoring is good for your team? I think. I kind of lean towards the zero view. I think that the sample is sort of large enough in the regular season where it's about zero, and now you have a negative correlation over an entire season. I think there probably is some value, not necessarily plus EV because you know you have to overcome the big, but if I was trying to calculate a boost, I'd probably look at about zero. And I try and always be conservative. So if the, if the boost was Jokic's 30 plus points in Denver to win, 
which you know is a uh, positive, you know, they're assuming it's a, is it a positively correlated player performance double or is it a negatively correlated one? If there was a boost for it, I'd probably go the conservative way and say, if Jokic scores more, it, it's probably slightly negatively correlated uh, to the Nuggets winning. So I, I can be conservative on evaluating the boost. And if it were the other way, Jokic to score less, which is very rarely a boost, Jokic to score less and the Nuggets to win, I'd probably go the other way and, and just use sort of the book's correlations, maybe dampen it a little bit because I don't want to kind of shoot ourselves in the foot. Uh, but that's sort of how I would think about it and try and go the conservative route. But if I were coming up with a risk-free SGP, it is very plausible I'd look at these numbers and say, you know, Jokic under points, Denver minus three and a half, I get plus 330 when the zero vig zero correlation line is about plus 330. Uh, that's pretty good. That, that's assuming zero correlation. That's what he's been on the season uh, for the regular season. That's actually plus EV if you use his correlation for the entire season. It's actually the most plus EV bet ever if you use his postseason correlation, which is obviously difficult to maintain. But my whole point is if I'm trying to look for some kind of edge to use for a promo or to cut down the VIG at least as much as I can, yeah, I want to look at bets that look good versus other books. And, you know, I kind of know which books are going to put more correlation between uh, a player's points and their team success. So the same bet would look like, you know, plus 310 on FanDuel. I thought it would be a little bit higher, but uh, a little bit lower. But, you know, on Seizures, it looks good. Uh, Barstool probably looks okay. So that might be something that I consider, just trying to find some kind of edge. You know, you have to come up with something, and if you don't have some awesome line out there um, in the SGP, like that's where you can sort of use correlation to your favor in that kind of analysis, where the books might be slow to adjust to what Jokic has been doing this postseason, or maybe they're not differentiating by player enough, right? Where they have every star player has a certain positive correlation to their team success. It's not necessarily, you know, a glitch or anything like that, or even plus EV, but it's a nice way to sort of find a bet for a promo. Uh, so that's kind of the two ways that I normally use this type of stuff is coming up with plays for promos and then evaluating correlations and, and how they relate to a lot of the boosts to, to calculate the fair odds. Because if you just use uh, what the books have, well, first off, a lot of them have different correlations. But second off, it might be an incomplete picture because this, this stuff's kind of always evolving. I like to look at players in total. I'm not going to overreact to, to one player, especially early on in a season. But I think it is good to sort of have an idea for what the correlations look like and, and think of sort of the stories behind them. So my last point on this is a, a few years ago, uh, Kevin Durant's correlation between his points and his team's success was uh, negative as well, right? Kind of like Jokic has been. And that was a really simple explanation, which was his over-unders were higher <laughs> and his teams were expected to win less when Kyrie sat and Kyrie was sitting a bunch of games because of the vaccine. Uh, so that one is one that I was not going to overreact to. This one, you kind of might because there's sort of a decent sample coming through. A lot of now analysis on TV, you look at 
uh, uh, Spolstra, you know, arguably trying to make him go that way. And I, I don't have an opinion on any of that, but it kind of tells me, hey, there might be something to this. The numbers support it. The pundits support it. The coaches seem to be playing into it. Maybe it's something that we can use for our pro. And maybe it's something we should adjust to when we're evaluating boosts, stuff like that. So that was just sort of a quick thought. I thought it was a good example to kind of go through correlation, stuff like that. So uh, I don't know if it's pure coincidence. I don't know any of that, but it's something that uh, I definitely want to account for when evaluating a boost or coming up with a promo play as one of kind of the options in my arsenal. Yeah, I, I think in this situ- specific situation, it's so hard to judge just because these game plans change game to game. And I think you're right. It depends completely on, like, if Spolstra is trying to feed, like let Jokic eat to not let anyone else get going, then maybe his over in points would be correlated with Nuggets' losses. I just think that the sample size is so small in the playoffs. It's tough to really, like, yeah, I know his three 40-point games. That's the stat that's yeah. really going around that made us think of this. Uh, the three 40-point games all came in losses. Um, I, I lean towards thinking that's a coincidence. Um, I also lean towards not putting any money behind either side of this because I don't, like, understand it well. Not understand it well enough. I just think that there's enough variance that, I can't accurately say I feel one way strongly over the other. Yeah, and I, th- I think that's the right reaction, and I mostly agree. I just thought, I just think it's a good way to sort of think about correlation and think about coming up with promo play stuff you have to consider when it comes to evaluating boost. And if you want a Denver play, like if you fully believe that this is the case, like maybe it's something that you could use because the books, like the books are pricing it negatively, and people are like, oh, well. The key is this, right? So it's just something to think about when you're coming up with SGPs, when you're doing promo plays, when you're evaluating boosts, it's sort of like, this is how correlation looks. And sometimes it's really hard to have a perfect correlation number because it's very plausible that Jokic is positively correlated to the Nuggets winning. And this is all just random variance and coincidence. And the numbers aren't even that strong the other way. And it's perhaps notable that the books are pricing it, you know, that, that DraftKings is pricing it that way and FanDuel is pricing it that way. But we don't know. Uh, and I always try and be conservative when we don't know, like you said. So I'm not necessarily, I'm not saying to put money on it or anything, but it's something to consider and something that I would kind of have as a weapon in my arsenal if I'm struggling to find uh, a good, you know, SGP for a promo or something like that. Uh, all right, so let's go to Grinds My Gears. All right, this is a fun one. What's got you angry this week? You know what really grinds my gears? So not a ton. I mean, I already mentioned the, the MGM stuff was potential. Uh, Michigan not having like any of these DraftKings promos is definitely an option, but I'm still a little bit on vacation mode. So I'm gonna move aside from the gambling stuff. Love that. And say what really what really grinded my gears this week was Adam Sandler tweeted a trailer for new movie. And I don't know if I was ever gonna watch it, but I watched the trailer, which I normally don't do if I know I'm gonna watch a movie. And it is absolutely insane how much is given away in these trailers. And it pisses me off every single time I I watch a trailer. And now I'm at the point where if I know I'm watching a movie or show and I see a commercial coming on or somebody share a video of the trailer, I will do everything I can to avoid it. But for this one, I was curious if it was something I would want to watch. And I looked at the trailer and I know everything that happened in that movie. 
There's no reason for me to watch anymore. The whole thing is spoiled. Like it was infuriating. I don't. I don't even know. What, I don't know what the movie's called. But did you did you see this? I mean, I know I sent it to you. Uh, <laughs> yes, and. I hadn't even I didn't even click on it when you sent it to me. So when we talked about it the other day, you started describing the movie, and I'm like, oh yeah, of course I've seen that, and of course I know every single detail of the movie because I pretty much watched it in two minute form. I know every single it's the one starring Adam Devine, who I mean, am I be, are we being hypocritical here if I just explain every single plot twist? All right, spoiler. You should shut. You should shut the podcast up. If you might watch this movie and you don't want it spoiled and you avoided the trailer, kudos to you. But go ahead. So now now we've warned people. Go ahead. So we know that in the beginning of the trailer, Adam Devine is just dating a girl and they're like the plot is we're gonna meet the parent her parents and everyone's a little nervous. Next thing, we then find out that they are bank robbers. And okay, plot twist, I guess that's what the movie's about. Like the parents are bank robbers. That's a premise right there. You don't need to give me any more than that. Then we know that the bank robbers robbed the bank that Adam Devine works at. And in order to get even, like they, the guys who run the bank wanted to get even with the bank robbers. So instead of robbing another bank, they stole the, the bank robber's daughter. Am I, am I correct in saying that? Yeah, why do I know this? It's insane. And then they have, then they work together and have to go save her. Like, and they they put some jokes in there that are probably like the three funny jokes in the movie. And like, what are we doing here? Trailers need to go back to being like, I mentioned this on our call, and I don't have a better example. But in Entourage, the Medellin trailer, it's like thirty seconds. It's got some cool perfect example. It has one scene, and like. It was really cool, and a bunch of people went to go see that movie, even though it's done. And it was a horrible movie, even but people went to go see it. It still works to do it this way. So that's that's what really grinds my gears. Uh, I'm really excited that we're back on the show. One shout-out uh, to Sunday Slams, Mojo. We talked about it a few weeks ago. They did it for the first week. I got really great reviews from everybody that did it. Um, that you know, support was great. They got their bets. They got their their site credit very quickly. Uh, everything kind of went very smoothly. So highly recommend check it out. We have the the promo code for a no sweat, obviously, and I know that they're doing it again this upcoming Sunday. So shout out to them, uh, Nick. Thank you. Uh, really happy to be back. And uh, let me know if we're doing any bets uh, after they win or lose. Yeah, I'll, I'll let you know afterwards. Uh, this was fun. Glad we're back. We'll talk next week. All right. See you. Later. See ya. Can you feel the heat?